97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and the UNC Hustman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC Journalism Professor Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, the Maui Classic and men's college basketball in general. Our guest, Brendan Marks, a writer for The Athletic and a UNC alum. So, Brendan, first let's talk about snow at the Maui Classic. First time ever. <laughs> yes, it's uh, North Carolina is, is doing a nice job of itself. They've now hosted the Rose Bowl and the Maui Invitational. So, uh, it's, it's certainly not the sort of environment that everyone would have liked. We'd much rather be in sunny, sunny Maui, but uh, being in Asheville, being able to actually play college ball, basketball games in any way, shape or form, wherever they are, is, is a good sign in my book. Any sense of the impact? Uh, you don't have many people in the stands, but the impact on an area like Asheville hosting such a, a prestigious event? Yeah, you know, normally I think when you have these sorts of MTEs or, or tournaments or events, you would see outside of the stadium, you know, there's people hawking tickets, there are fans, there are um, specials at all the local restaurants. It was so strange to see outside of the arena in Asheville, there was nothing, absolutely nothing, no fans, no nothing, no specials. Um, I mean, last night, by the time I left the arena, which was around 10 PM, there was not a soul around. I mean, I walked out and and seriously, I did not see a single human being. So um, you hate that for a region like Asheville, which obviously could have used the revenue. Every, every place loves to, uh, see the economic lift these tournaments provide. But, um, you know, I'm sure there will be some impact. You know, the hotel industry is going to see a little bit of a boon just from the teams and their staffs that have to come by and, and obviously have to take such precautions to play. But uh, it's, it's certainly not the economic boost that a region like Asheville or any region would want to see under normal times. Any reaction from any of the players to the fact that there was snow at at the Maui Invitational, of course, it's not in Maui, but you know that that has something to do with it. But what what sort of reaction did you see? Yeah, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to the tournament organizers because they really leaned into trying to create a Maui feel in Asheville, which is no easy feat to do, as as you would expect. So, um, but you know, before the championship game yesterday, they played the Hawaiian national anthem. Uh, most of the tournament staff were wearing you know sort of floral print shirts. Um, the tournament MVP and Shaka Smart, obviously the head coach of the winning team, uh, they, they were gifted with these commemorative lays that they would do back in Maui. Um, and, and then, you know, they put a little bit of an Asheville twist. I think some of the local flora from Asheville was used to make those lays that were given to the winning team. So um, the, the players were certainly aware that it was not a normal environment. They would have loved to have fans instead of piped in crowd noise. Um, for all of the viewers watching at home, uh, you know, the, the Bill Walton experience seemed like it was in full kick, but uh, you know, the players certainly noticed, but again, I, I think they're just grateful to be here, to be able to play and to have college basketball, you know, however they can get it. So as your professor at one time, I have to let you know that Hawaii is not a nation. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Dr. <laughs> T, you know, it's, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've been in class. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the Hawaii state anthem. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They, uh, it was, it was, per, well, it was performed in, you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to butcher it or mispronounce it, but the, I guess the, the native language of Hawaii um, sort of commemorating Hawaiian culture. Um, you know, they had a nice little video montage to go along with it. So, so they really did lean into the Maui aspect of things, um, which I thought was a really nice touch. 
Excellent. Well, let's talk about that, uh, that final game. So not the outcome that uh, UNC fans would have wanted, but, you know, a young team comes back from 12 down at halftime. If they could shoot free throws, they would have won that game. So what, what's your assessment of Roy Williams' young team at this point? Yeah, you know, I think last season um, w- was so jarring for so many fans and, and, you know, really for everyone across the country. I mean, it, it was by far and away the worst season of Roy Williams' career, and that's not mincing words or anything. I mean, the numbers back it up. UNC had its worst shooting percentage, free throw shooting percentage, and three-point shooting percentage of all time, all in the same season. So... Uh, you're not going to win many games when you have those sorts of where this team was back in March when the season ended versus now the influx of young talent, six new freshmen coming in. The, the biggest thing that I wanted to see at the Maui Invitational was, is this a team that is going to have the same sort of bad luck? They're going to have the same sort of quit in them that I saw so often last year. And I think the unequivocal answer to that is no, this is a team that it's not going to win games in blowout fashion. Uh, You know, it's going to have to grit and scrap and claw for every single win. But it's a team that is willing to do that. And it has the talent that they didn't have last year. And and I'm really optimistic sort of about the way this season could go for UNC. Uh, I think it's going to take some time for all the young pieces to gel and come together. Um, But it's easy to be encouraged about the overall talent that Roy Williams has at his disposal. So fans should be encouraged that this is a team that doesn't quit. Absolutely. I mean, I I think, you know, Leaky Black, I thought, put it in as clear of terms as you could possibly say after UNC was able to pull out the the close win against Stanford on the second day of the tournament. And Leaky said, we're battle tested. We've been through everything. Last year taught us that we've, you know, we've seen the bottom of the barrel. We know what that looks like. That also means that now we know how to avoid having those sorts of things happen to us again. So I, I look less at yesterday's buzzer beater as a symptom that, that is, uh, you know, sort of following along the same pattern as last year and, and more of a sign, you know, again, clawing back from down 12, performing so poorly in the first half, even being in that game and, and having a shot in the last couple of minutes is a testament to how much better UNC already is compared to the group that it had in March. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking with Brendan Marks about Tar Heel basketball, but uh, also about uh, the the Maui Invitational and college basketball in general. So uh, just a a quick observation, Brendan, and I'll ask you to react to this. Uh, Listening to or watching on TV – some of these games from the Invitational solidified in my mind uh, my ranking of the worst color commentator in men's college basketball, and it's Bill Walton. <laughs> that, that, I, uh, guy, that guy drives me crazy. I don't know if you were able to see any of it or hear any of, of his stuff because of, having, of doing your own job, but um, thoughts about that. Yeah, you know, I, like you mentioned, I was in the arena, so I was watching a lot of the games in person. Um, but fortunately, I did have an opportunity to sort of tune into some of the broadcasts. Uh, the tournament staff were nice enough to, to have the other games going in the media workroom while all of us were doing interviews and working and whatnot. And, and yeah, you know, it is an experience listening to Bill Walton. Here's, here's my thoughts on him. I think that if you are invested in the game, if you're a fan, for example, yesterday of UNC or Texas, and he's on the broadcast, 
it, it is incredibly, incredibly irritating because obviously nothing he's saying is relating to the game. It has nothing to do with the analysis or the teams or anything like that. And, and that's what fans want to hear. On the flip side, if you are a random college basketball fan and you have no allegiance to either team and you're just, you know, channel scrolling, trying to find something to watch, you are a hundred times more likely to listen to a game because of Bill Walton being so wild and so wacky than you would if it was, you know, a, a normal conventional broadcast. So um, unfortunately, I, I think it's sort of a, a it's a pick your poison sort of deal. If you are a fan, it's obviously not ideal. But if you're not a fan, I try and think of it from the flip side. Uh, you know, the guy is interesting. I'll give him that. Let's let's leave it there. <laughs> All right. So just one more quick uh, note, note about him is if every call by the official is the worst call he's ever seen or every mistake by a player is the worst mistake he's ever seen. It's like, well, you know, how can it get any worse then? <laughs> exactly. I was, I was honestly a little bit surprised that, uh, you know, he, he got as much, I won't say airtime because obviously he's on there, but as much speaking time as he did, um, but then I guess at the same time, who, who is going to be able to actually interrupt and stop that guy from communicating what he wants to. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, uh, college basketball in general. Of course, you know, we're, we're having these COVID struggles. Games have been postponed just like with football. Uh, who knows what's around the bend as to, you know, when we might, uh, get some, uh, some relief from, from COVID and things return to normal. So, with all that being said, who are the teams to look out for? Is Texas one of them? I, th I think Texas is a really interesting team this year. Um, you know, I, I wrote a story about Texas off, off the championship game last night. And, you know, really the, the question with Texas was not talent. It was not experience. You know, Texas is one of the, you know, big rarities in college basketball today. And, and you and I have talked about this before. But in the one-and-done era, to have a team return 100% of its scoring – and 100% of its rebounding from last year, that's unheard of. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen anymore. So for Texas to have that much experience, and then, you know, we talk about talent. Basically, their top 11 guys were all former top 100 recruits at one point. And, and, you know, they're bringing in a stud freshman this year, Greg Brown. He was a consensus top 10 guy in this class. So uh, I think the question with Texas was much more just about fit. How did Shaka Smart? have to make all of these different puzzle pieces come together, figure out a rotation and keep everyone happy. And, and thus far he's proving that he can do that. You know, I think Texas is probably a top 10 team. Um, but, but as far, you know, beyond them looking a little bit beyond some of the games I saw in person this week, the two teams that stand out to me as, as being sort of in a different class, a different echelon, it's Gonzaga and it's Baylor. I mean, mm -hmm. Gonzaga to me, is one of the best offensive basketball teams that we're going to see. You know, we'll, we'll be talking about them as one of the best teams of the decade 10 years from now. Um, well, they West, have Virgin that West Virginia hung with Gonzaga. They did. They did. I, I would point out, though, that Jalen Suggs, who I, you know, I think very possibly could be a top five pick in this coming NBA draft. You know, he's the best freshman that Mark Few has maybe ever had out in Spokane. I mean, he is electric. Uh, he has such vision, such great natural scoring ability. Um, you know, it's one thing to have court as a point guard. It's another to be able to actually execute every pass that you see. And he can do that. So when he went out yesterday, that's when West Virginia, that's when you see Gonzaga start to stretch things back out a little bit. So um, I, I think West Virginia is an interesting team, but 
to me, Gonzaga, they're, they're across the board scoring ability. Drew Timmy could be a player of the year. Corey Kispert's a future pro. Suggs is a future pro. Um, you know, they, to me, would be the number one team in the country if I had a ballot. And then Baylor, uh, Jared Butler is, is, you know, as good a guard as there is in the entire country. And, and you know, they've got Macy Oteague. Um, they, they've got so many high-energy guys. And uh, it's going to be a tough year for the Scott Drew Kent coach crowd because Baylor has a very, very real shot at winning the national championship this year. Um, as you saw yesterday at the end of the game against Illinois, they just, they just hit another gear. And, and their shot-making ability is something that I don't think many teams in the country can rival. So those would be my top two, but certainly I think Texas is, is a top 10 team and uh, deserving to be in that conversation as well. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion of the early days of the college basketball season. Brendan, we talked about uh, your your two uh, top picks. Michigan State uh, beat Duke at Duke. That's not an easy thing to do. What, no, what do you think about uh, the Sparties? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time that Tom Izzo has ever won in Cameron Indoor Stadium. I which, believe it was. Know, see, that seems like one of those crazy stats, but uh, it's, it's a reality. And obviously, this wasn't a normal situation. You know, uh, in speaking to coaches across the ACC this summer, knowing that Duke was not going to have fans at Cameron Indoor, a lot of coaches said to me, you know, that's a five or a 10 point point boost in every single game for the Blue Devils just because of their crowd and uh, sort of how they can create pressure on an opponent. But yeah, you're, you're totally right, Dr. T. I mean, you talk about Michigan State and they are the epitome to me of a team that is going to thrive more this particular season with all of the different uh, COVID precautions, all the different cancellations, delays, the, the wonky off season veteran teams are going to have an advantage over young groups. And, and that played out so clearly on Tuesday night. You know, Michigan State is starting five guys who are, are you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors, grad transfers. And on the flip side, Duke is starting basically all freshmen. And, and that showed in the later stages of the game when, when Duke got up early, it was cruising. Well, Michigan State fought back, hit Duke in the mouth, and, and those young kids didn't know how to come back from that. And so I think, you know, a team like Michigan State that has grizzled veterans, you know, they have a Joey Hauser, they have an Aaron Henry, they have a Josh Langford who uh, has seemingly been in college for forever now. You know, when you have those veterans like that in this year, when everything else is, is so unpredictable, being able to bank on that stability and experience, I think is going to be so key. And I'm, I'm really impressed by the Spartans. You know, I think they're probably a top 10 team when the newest rankings come out. Um, they looked really good. And of course, you know, Tom is as good a coach as there is in the country. So are Duke and Carolina facing the same sort of challenges this year with young teams? I, I think absolutely. And, you know, as weird as this may seem, I think Carolina is at a slight advantage in that respect, because when you look at the returners that each of those two schools is bringing back, you know, UNC is bringing back Garrison Brooks. He's the ACC preseason player of the year. You, you know, he is a proven leader and he's a proven scorer on the inside. But they're also bringing back Armando Baycott, who, who was a five-star guy a year ago and started essentially every single game last year. And they bring back, you know, everyone likes to clown on him, but Andrew Playtech is a pest defensively, and he's been here for four years. You know, these are guys who have played major minutes for UNC, and, and they've had major roles. Whereas on the flip side at Duke, you're talking about guys who all of Duke's returners, you know, they, they were previously role players. None of them were proven 
dependable guys on a nightly basis. And so I think from that respect, Duke just has a lot. Duke has more upside with its freshman class, in my opinion, but it also has farther to go in terms of reaching its ceiling just because of the, the quality of the returners that it has back. All right. I want to spend the, the final couple of minutes we have left talking about an article you wrote a couple of weeks ago. It might have even been three weeks ago. And it was the cost of a recruiting weekend at Carolina. And, you know, you're reading uh, the, the, you know, the seafood trays and this and that. And it was a $2,000 meal or something. It's like, wow, I, I'd love to be invited to something like that. But then in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, it's like, but you know what? That's standard operating procedure. It absolutely is. You know, you think about it. I think that the total cost, you know, for the official visit for um, Caleb Love and, and Walker Kessler, I think the total, if I remember correctly, came to, you know, not more than $12,000. And so you're talking about two kids who are consensus five-star talents. They are among the best at their respective positions in the country. They are exactly the type of players that Roy Williams needs, wants, has always excelled with. So when you, when you think about it in that context, and, and when you think about it in terms of revenue, which I think, you know, that story really highlighted, spending 6000 ish dollars per kid for the potential return, I mean, that's a heck of an investment. So um, it seems lucrative in the moment for, for any UNC fans listening, anyone who's frequented Chapel Hill, um, they know how hard it is to spend $100 on a lunch at Sutton's. Uh, <laughs> that, that, I think, was one of the shocking details to me. But, but it just goes to show how important and how valuable these kids are in the grand scheme of college basketball and um, sort of keeping the, the gears turning in, in the machinery at UNC and everywhere else. Yeah, so the initial reaction was, was wow, and then the second reaction was not that big a deal, really, you know, because exactly. everybody does this. It's the stuff that people do off the boards, uh, you know, under the table, if you will, and not saying anyone in particular, any school in particular does that. But uh, it, it's a it's big money. It's a big money business, college athletics, especially football and basketball. So uh, I guess it just goes with the territory. It does. And, and again, you know, you think about what it costs for UNC to, quote unquote, get those kids, you know, to convince them. And obviously they're not coming to UNC because they got to go have a nice meal at a steakhouse. You know, that's sort of gravy on top of getting to meet Roy Williams and, and getting tours of the Dean Dome and. Um, you know, getting to sit down and think about the possibility, hey, maybe one day my jersey can hang in the Smith Center rafters. That's all the stuff that they're coming for. But but the the additional operating costs of these meals, uh, you know, these snacks, these visits, all that sort of deal, um, it, it really doesn't pale in comparison to the money that these kids are going to be generating for UNC. You know, think about, you know, if UNC by the end of the college basketball season is able to have fans you know when people are buying the, the money that the school is going to come see back is going to five times ten times exceed what it costs to actually get those kids to come and play in chapel hill so um when you think about it in that way when you think about it as an investment from the basketball program you know obviously these kids are, are great players but in terms of a revenue you know revenue generators um these visits pay for themselves pretty quickly and that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, Brendan Marks. Thanks also to producer Chip Sweeney. And as always, thanks to you for listening. 
Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's international network of sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.